welcome aboard the battleship pretension i am tyler smith i'm david back and thank you for listening david yes how you doing i'm irked by oh. a very silly thing okay i'm excited now we've talked i can't remember if you talked about it in the podcast we definitely talked about it on the harry potter commentaries available now uh at battleshipretention.com those um, sound very expensive david no there are, it's only ten, 10 bucks only it's, ten dollars like, hours for the it's the first four movies yeah it's us going insane yes um and talking to people increasingly not even about movies uh, <laughs> because we, we lose our minds as yeah. it goes on uh but we have a rotation rotating guests uh who come through and watch 30 to 40 minutes of the movie with us and mm-hmm. uh either play along or are just baffled by the fact that we're losing our minds yeah um, anyway the, the number of people when i email now some people you know they've they come back over and over so they they're used to it but sometimes every once in a while back. sometimes yeah um that's a that's a Stephen King thing right yeah okay yeah. um but uh any any newbies they're just like wait what are you doing so you're there the whole time i said uh-huh. yeah they're like that's insane. It's like, yes, yes, it is. Uh, anyway, sorry. Go on. These. Anyway. Um, so we talked about how neither of us likes that. Now when a movie comes out on Friday, it actually comes out on a Thursday evening. Yes. Because we're both big fans of the Thursday at midnight tradition. Mm-hmm. It meant something. Yeah. Um, you have that, to be giving something up yeah, to see a movie yeah. early. Now I feel like studios are getting a little too willy nilly with just midweek openings Mm -hmm. to the point where I forgot that I didn't have two more days to write my crazy rich Asians review. Okay. Yeah. And I had to rush it because I was like, Oh fuck, this movie comes out on Wednesday. Like I know. Okay. Obviously the day before Thanksgiving, that's a Wednesday. Movies are always going to come out. That makes sense. Yeah. That's a Friday, the Friday of that week. Movies always come out on Christmas day. That that's fine. That makes sense. But just what we don't, we just release movies whenever now on a Wednesday. It is this very strange respect for tradition and also for the poor, uh, theater owners who have to re- revise their schedule for one house. It, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they have to pick which movie is closing on a Tuesday night instead of a Thursday night. Now that's always annoying. I'm sure. Yeah. Like they're just, you know, they're still sleeping it off from opening a movie the previous Friday, (laughs) you know? Yeah. No, I, I get Uh, what you mean. Like, it's just, it's, it's anarchy, you know, dogs and cats living together. But, uh, yeah. And it's admittedly Wednesday is the earliest. Like I have, I've not heard of a Tuesday opening now. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows now? It's, all bets are off. Also, then we're going to become the book industry. That's what we're going to become. Okay. Which has release dates, but unless it's like a Harry Potter type thing, there are more suggestions than anything else. I feel sure. like, um, uh, like it, I mean, it bummed me when new albums moved from Tuesdays to Fridays, but at mm-hmm. least we still recognize that there's a day. Yeah. And same with, the. Uh home video releases that's tuesday it's still tuesday still tuesday which is exciting yeah but yeah something to do during the week well and that was the thing it's something to do okay i'm 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 getting there with you Uh it's something to do during the week on your way to friday when you can go and see a movie but now no it's you watch a movie on tuesday and then you go see a movie on on wednesday (laughs) yeah also (laughs) what is it about crazy rich asians that requires this I, i don't understand I don't understand. And like, I mean, you joke about it getting earlier, but like 
if movies start regularly coming out on Tuesday or on Wednesdays, are we going to have Tuesday night midnight screenings? And then is that going to go the way of the Thursday night midnight screening? Yeah. Are, we, are movies actually going to be opening at 7 p.m. on Tuesday? Yeah. I think get we'll it, get to uh, a, get, rain it in Hollywood. <laughs> get a hold of yourself. Movies come out on Fridays. Now, let me suggest this. At some point, it will get to a point where a movie will have always been released. <laughs> like it's, it's like no, you've always been the caretaker here. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. If we're yeah. not careful, no, I think I did joke about like Netflix at some point. Like when they did their like Cloverfield <laughs> Paradox thing. Yeah, at some point Netflix is going to like release a movie that you've already seen, except it's going to be like a reveal that it's a Cloverfield movie. <laughs> it's like, it's true. It's like, uh, but you didn't know Mr. Turner took place in the <laughs> Cloverfield universe. Mr. Turner. That's perfect. Cause who gives a shit? Yeah. That's great. Um, yes. Well, it's, uh, it's fun to, to be the, uh, the get off my lawn guy every once in a while. And, uh, it's just, I just, I'm, it's not even that it's more that I just like, things to have an order to them well and i'm sure well i know you definitely want that yeah and when you think about it i'm sure it has to do with the idea that like in the same way that summer movie season still exists but it's a little fuzzy Uh you know when you've got like avengers and and solo and deadpool coming out in like april and may like those are officially summer blockbusters i mean as far as the type of thing they are they're like these tentpole films but now like summer movie season then you've got you have major movies coming out in february like yeah black panther yeah and and it's partially because summer was just so packed for so long that they're like okay we got to branch out and i feel like that's what's happening uh in the week where it's like well okay this movie will open friday we'll we'll beat it for a couple of days and i understand that uh, with around Thanksgiving and Christmas spreading sure. things out because there's a ton of movies but like was Crazy Rich Asians really ringing its hat about beating Mile 22 this weekend <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like I feel like Mile 22 is the other big like that and yeah. Alpha uh, those are like the big releases like what why are you swinging your weight around Crazy Rich Asians you're already on yeah. the, I, I, I'm probably wrong and Mile 22 will end up winning the weekend or something I feel like no one cares about it but that's uh, could be the Pauline Kale uh, yeah. effect of I just don't know anyone who cares about Mile 22. Everyone yeah. that I know is talking about Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Cut to Sunday and Alpha's made like $125 million. <laughs> you know what? I would be so happy. Like, I guess it had an audience. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, let's pay some bills. Okay. So this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a handpicked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it that means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy all for only $8.99 a month plus when you use their mobile apps you can download films to watch offline currently available on movie this is a movie that we were uh, talking about last week uh, abbas kiarostami's certified copy oh yeah uh, starring juliette binoche um which you've not seen right no i've not seen that one man it's a fascinating movie and one that it's it's hard to even it was one of my favorite movies of that year uh and I would like to rewatch it because it's just two people talking. Like you, you would think that in many ways it's just, it's like the before trilogy, except there's a weird mind bender quality to it. where halfway through these two characters, this husband and wife, just like, 
adopt new identities or maybe this was all this was their identity and what we saw up until that point was fake but like but they do it without even really trying they just like if you and i just without saying hey we're doing this now you and i just both went into character Mm -hmm. and then just proceeded and just did the rest of the episode in character or we started an episode in character and then and then dropped it and then did the rest of the episode ourselves it'd be like anybody who was listening for the first time would, would they'd have no idea. They wouldn't know what was true and what wasn't. And the fact that this is just an older couple doing this kind of playfully, but also it brings in this very mournful, sad quality, but you're also like, I don't know if you're lying right now. (laughs) It's, it's fascinating. It's absolutely invigorating, uh, beautiful performances all around. And so, uh, yeah, certified copy is, uh, playing on movie right now. Did you ever see the, um, uh, I feel like I've asked you this before. You didn't, you never watched in treatment with Gabriel Byrne or you watched some, I watched the, the John Mahoney John episodes. Mahoney stuff, yeah. Right. So in the first season, there's a couple played okay. by Josh Charles and Emmett Davids. Okay. Um, and they, would you just describe it kind of reminds me of, of, of really? them. That's interesting. Um, uh, it's really good. Yeah. I, I, I loved the John Mahoney stuff. I feel like I would really enjoy watching the, the rest of the show, but, um, so, uh, okay. But yeah, certified copy, the what? guy, the, the kid, sorry, the kid who plays Gabriel Byrne's son in mm-hmm. hereditary oh, played okay. Gabriel Byrne's son on in treatment. It's a reunion. In the second and third season. It's a different actor in the first season. Oh. I think But I've been that actor ended up playing the actor who was the son in the first season then went on was on the uh, on parenthood i think he was like okay. Andrew krause's son maybe i never watched parenthood so i think that's why they had to recast him so are you suggesting uh, like an extended universe situation where the where in treatment exists in the world of hereditary um i you mean in treatment exists as a show like the characters in hereditary could watch in treatment. Well, it's Gabriel Byrne and his son. Like maybe they they witnessed a crime, and then they, so you're saying it's the same world, same world. Not not like because my wife and I are rewatching Sopranos, mm-hmm. and we laughed about the fact that in the first episode, Father Phil talks to Carmela about Goodfellas. <laughs> yes, and of that's course, right. Lorraine Bracco is in. So Lorraine Bracco as an actress exists in the world of Sopranos. Yeah, and then. Tony's therapist just happens to look a lot like her. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, huh, that's odd. Um, yeah. So, uh, what were or we talking maybe about? Sopranos takes place in a different universe in which someone other than Lorraine Bracco played the role. Sure. In right. It would be yeah, uh, like Mercedes a, rule. Okay. I was going to say Annabelle Sciorra, but no, she was on Sopranos too. Exactly. That wouldn't yeah. work. Um, um, yeah. Maria Cachita Alonso. Maybe. There we um, go. Who is that? <laughs> um, uh, I know her from Colors. Um, yeah, I know. That. Oh, yeah, I couldn't because it has to be someone who is half Italian, half Jewish, not Latino. But she's the uh, Sean Penn's love interest in Colors. That's, oh, that's right. Okay, from. and I all uh, and I know her from Predator too. Okay, okay. So, all right. So back to movie. Sorry. Yes. All right. Uh, but yeah, Certified Coffee. It's a marvelous film. I, I highly recommend it. Um, and there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for one month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. Or just click on the uh, click on the Mubi ad on the left hand side of the page. 
And I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Uh, Tyler and I both use them each and every day. Today, I was listening to famed uh, Canadian hardcore, hardcore punk band DOA because their bassist, Randy Rampage, real name Randy Archibald, which that part I had to look up. I didn't mm. know his real last name, uh, passed away. Um, so RIP Randy Rampage, DOA are great. Um, and it sounded great. Uh, I was able to pay tribute to Randy Rampage. Uh, great with my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes? Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Um, we've got, look. Enough, I don't silliness, know to, enough yeah. silliness, kind of. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I also don't know like how to actually get into, like, it, you, there's no silly way into this topic because... Uh, We've arrived at a place in America where Nazis aren't are no longer like mostly relegated to the past. Do you know what I mean? I mean, thankfully, like they're back, like, they're back but like thankfully, like there's there there's going to be like the big march in Washington and like there's thirty people or something. Yeah. This was like, all right, well, that's I can take some comfort in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, at least we're getting back to the point. We're starting to get back to the point where. If you're a Nazi, you at least know to keep it to yourself. Yeah, it's just like... <laughs> that's, that's baby steps, but that's a little bit of progress. I like the lazy Nazis. I like yeah. the ones that are like, I hate people, but I don't want to leave. Yeah. I'm just going to stay at home. Um, but at this point, the time the listeners are hearing this, we're only a few days away from uh, Operation Finale uh, hitting the theaters. Right. Uh, in which Ben Kingsley plays Adolf Eichmann. And so here's a Nazi movie. I can say I saw it, right? I don't have to give my opinion. Uh, I think you're allowed to say you've seen it. Okay. So, yeah, this came about because I I went to the screening of uh, Operation Finale, and I will talk more about what I thought of it next week. But And also, you can read your review on the website. That's the important part. Not as of yet, but yes, no, you can yeah, read my when review. When it comes up. Yes, yes. That's because when I... When I'm under embargo during the movie journal, I just don't talk about the movie and I don't revisit it later because my feeling is if people want to know what I think, go read my review. My review's up. That's the whole reason I was under embargo is because I was planning on writing a review. So my review's up. I don't want I don't want people to just come to the movie journal for my movie opinions. I want them to read my reviews. All my my blood, sweat, and tears are in those things. See, and this is the difference between you and me. Uh Uh-huh. Um the only one Uh (laughs) uh is that I consider myself a better talker than writer. Um, really? I think I have become, I think I'm a better writer than I was as a function of school. But, uh, yeah, I've always seen myself as a mostly functional 
rather dry writer. Hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, I try to write in my own voice, but as it turns out, I can't write in my own voice as well as I speak in my own voice. And so, uh, by all means, yes, read my review because I put effort into it, but, uh, and I put effort into this too, but not as much. Yeah. I definitely think my reviews are a better distillation of what I actually thought. I feel like I stumble over my words or I get, taken into blind alleys which which is also often fun often what is the most fun thing about the movie journal is that i end up talking about things that i didn't think of when i was writing because i followed some blind alley well and that's the thing is that like with with writing a review i do find that i i enjoy it but i also recognize and we don't have a word limit or anything like that but i do find that i don't incorporate every single thought i have because like well sure, not yeah. all of them are important but yeah. if we're talking, I'm not going to record. I'm not going to incorporate every thought I have, but I feel a little freer to just incorporate just slight little bits of trivia or something like that that would be out of place in a review. Yeah, even that if I put me, it in parentheses, because I didn't say it in the movie journal this week. Uh, I didn't get around to talking in my or writing my review of Crazy Rich Asians about uh, one of my favorite discoveries. So I knew because movie's funny. Mm-hmm. I knew Aquafina would be funny because I knew her from Neighbors 2, although mm-hmm. I haven't seen Ocean's 8. I think she's in that, too. Right. Um, I knew Ken Jeong would be funny. He's always sure. funny. I didn't know this guy. Maybe you know the name. Ronnie Chang. Uh, C-H-I-E-N-G. Apparently, familiar. he's on or has been on the the current Daily Show, the post oh, okay. John Stewart. Noah. What's his name? Noah something? Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah. Uh, he's on that, on that one. Um, and he's... Uh, maybe the funniest part of crazy, crazy rich Asians. I didn't get around to mentioning that in my review and I should have mentioned it in the movie journal, but I'm saying it now that, uh, I'm now a fan of Ronnie Chang. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I'm looking at his IMDb right now. Yeah. Um, okay. So, but I, yeah, I did watch, um, operation finale and I have no idea if people know what this movie is. It's not a small movie, but it's not a big one either. Um, but it's it's the story of, as you mentioned, um, the extraction of Adolf Eichmann from Buenos Aires yeah. uh, in 1961, I think. Um, and it stars Oscar Isaac as Peter Malkin, the uh, Mossad agent who, uh, he didn't work alone. He had a, a whole team, but he was the one that was sort of the, the leader of the team. Uh, and then Ben Kingsley plays Eichmann. And I had this thought that in the 90s, there was a TV movie called The Man Who Captured Eichmann, starring Arliss Howard as Malkin and Robert Duvall as Eichmann. And I watched it because at the time I watched everything with Duvall. And this seemed like a... Okay, so follow me here. This seemed like a juicy role. And I thought... And then looking at Ben Kingsley, who does not overplay the part. I'm I'm giving my opinion now. Sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. He he doesn't overplay the part. But I did have the thought of like, yeah, if I were an older character actor and I had the opportunity to play like a well-known Nazi, I feel like on one hand, I'd be like, oh man, all right, here we go. I can just kind of morally cut loose and do what yeah. I want. And that's when I realized that like. I'm I'm over I I have no doubt that I'm overstating when I say what I'm about to say that the concept of like Nazism and Nazis themselves, you know, putting aside like where we are right now as a country, like putting that to the side for the moment, for the last 
several decades, like Nazis have become such easy villains. Um, oh, poor Nazis. <laughs> well, but what I mean to say, it's not that it's that like, I'm reminded of the tick comic book uh-huh. where, uh, there, where ninjas are treated like cockroaches. Uh-huh. They're just everywhere. They're, there are entire issues of the tick where you would just see Nazi uh, Nazis, uh, pardon me, ninjas in the background. Uh-huh. They, and they don't play any part in the story. They're just hanging out. Uh, there's a scene where uh, a husband and wife are driving down a dark, uh, forest road and they hit something and like, Oh my gosh, was it a deer? Oh no, it's just a ninja. Uh-huh. Who cares? Like, and it just speaks to just how, prolific the concept of like ninjas were when the tick was written and in that same way uh but and if i were a ninja which i'm not officially uh the uh i would look at that and be like ah that's silly but the thing that gets me is that like what one of the greatest onion headlines ever which is uh what is it like annual ninja parade passes through town unnoticed again Oh, that's good stuff. Um, but the thing about like, yes, <laughs> it's just like a shot of an empty street. I have no that doubt that the, that, you know, ninjas have a, have a code and all that sort of thing. <laughs> but, uh, but of course, Nazism is not, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. And so like right. we see them as comedic characters. We see them as easily dispatched, like villains. They're just like, they become, they've become like just this accepted boogeyman. And so I don't mean to say like, I'm not expressing sympathy for them. What I'm saying is that like when, when Adolf Eichmann is less, is now a juicy role Mm -hmm. and not an actual monster who actually existed. And of course he is that, but I, I'm, I'm not trying to like clutch my pearls and say like, Oh, are we, are we making Nazism? Okay. Are we D are we like, what do you like making it less right. of a diminishing. big d- diminishing? Are yeah. we diminishing uh, yeah. the, the impact See, of Nazism by just having Nazis in films like of, of all kinds. Now my answer is probably no, but it's something I wanted to explore. When you talk about things, which are on my list, cause I haven't seen any of these, but things like dead snow. Sure. Or what was on iron sky? Do you remember iron I sky? I remember iron sky. I didn't see it. Of course. The, but yeah, the premise is that the Nazis, still exist in a secret encampment on the dark side of the moon. And they've been building an army to attack the earth again. And they come back from the moon. I did not know that was what iron sky <laughs> is about. Now I'm going to see it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I see what you're saying. The only thing on my list that I have that I think falls into that category is the Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> Uh, oh, and also Hellboy. Um, also, right? Like, yeah. Um, uh, maybe skirting that issue of like, uh, not making Nazis cool, but using them as like a just a sort of historical icon. Like, yeah. Um, because of the apparently well documented fact that Adolf Hitler did have some occult interests. Yeah, and. Um, so they built the whole, the whole premise of Hellboy comes from the Nazis opening a portal right. to hell, right? And that's yeah. where he comes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in Indiana Jones, you've got Nazis uh, just 
yeah, as the thing you're talking about, they're just like pests for the most part. Yeah. Um, and it's fun to see indie, you know, smack them around right. or whatever, or walk them into airplane propellers or yeah. see them turn to ash when they drink from the wrong grail. Yeah. Um, Although he, and that's what's interesting about that character is that he's not officially a Nazi. He's just aligned with them so that he can get the grail. And then when he does turn to Ash, like you actually see like he had a little Nazi pin on. And I think it's, I don't think it's because he was a Nazi. It was just, he, again, he was aligned with them, but it's in the same way that you see like the Nazi logo, like the, the crate that the arc is in, like has the Nazi logo. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. <laughs> sure, uh, just watched it. Yeah. You know, it's all about branding with those people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and then that burns like, like the arc cannot exist in this. And so when you're dealing with the arc and you're dealing with the grail, you're dealing with God. Uh-huh. And one thing that I always liked about the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, it's God being like, you know what? <laughs> I'm done with this. I'm done with you guys. And you're and I'm removing you, but not before the most horrifying thing anyone will ever see, which is faces melting. Yeah. And uh, and it's satisfying. It's so satisfying to see because. You know, and so one of the things I, I one of the things I want to talk about is like, why do they make such effective villains? Like, why go like I remember you remember the sum of all fears. OK, yes, I did see that. Not that great of a movie, but. Uh, and I think the book, I think the villains were like, uh, like Islamic terrorists, but it came out not far after nine 11. And so they changed that to like domestic neo-Nazi terrorists. Oh. Like Alan Bates plays a character who's like, has like a swastika. I remember there's a reveal where he like takes off his watch and you see like there's a swastika on the underneath. So he's like being very covert and stuff. But I think they changed the, the villain, the type of terrorist huh. to one that is, you know, it's just like, well, Islamic terrorism might be a little bit close to, to people. <laughs> Nazis. All right. No problem at all. Uh, yeah. And, and it's understandable why I'm not saying it's, ne- that's a bad thing, but it's something that I, I think it's, you know, one, th- one thing that one impact on me that, uh, operation finale had is that just like it had been a while since, uh, since I'd seen a movie with, with like overt Nazi stuff in it and characters just like the way they're talking about the Jews and just like, right. I forgot. I mean, of course I didn't forget, but in a palpable way, I think I might've forgotten that this is what Hmm. Nazism actually is. Like for so long, I thought that they were just these delightful foils of the blues brothers, you know, (laughs) or, or just the generic, uh, henchmen in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like it's, it was strange as it may sound. Of course it was horrifying, but it was nice to be reminded like, Oh, this was an actual, as we know, you know, uh, at least it's an ethos, uh, you know, and I don't know. It was just a, just a thought that I had. And so I thought uh, we could do an episode about Nazis uh, in movies, Yeah, which basically means exploring all genres. That's the other thing. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like I, tended toward more m- more realistic stuff sure. or stuff that at least acknowledged how awful they were right um like inglorious bastards is uh, an obvious one sure um but inglorious bastards gets me into uh i had something i really wanted to bring up which is the i the, the question of 
did you put any movies in your list? I, cause I, I put them just as a subset, but I want to differentiate between Nazis and then world war two movies about German or in which German soldiers are the bad guys. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. of like saving private Ryan as being a movie where they're fighting Nazis, even though they're, you know, obviously a lot of the more members of the party, but I, right. I, I, I tend to sort of, I think subconsciously separate. Well, it does speak it, to the idea that like, in film terms, like World War Two and Holocaust movies are two separate things. Like yeah. now, of course, they happen at the same time, and there's going to be a lot of overlap. But yeah, Saving Private Ryan and Dunkirk are very different than Schindler's List. Yeah, um, and yet, Inglorious Passage is weirdly one that kind of acknowledges th- that difference and shows the bastards at least not not caring right, about yes. the difference. Yeah, uh, which leads to one of the most uncomfortable scenes. Um, which is the, the introduction of Eli Roth's character. Yeah. Um, uh, that is, uh, I think that is Quentin Tarantino intentionally, uh, being a little provocative there by giving you a soldier who is behaving like a respectable yeah. soldier, like you would want a soldier to behave, yeah. but all the blast bastards care. See is Nazi. They don't make the distinction. Yeah. Um, and of course, the next question is: Should they? Like, at what point? We yeah, because like, all the bastards are Jew. They're all Jewish as right, well. With so, the of course, of, of, of Brad Pitt, right? right. Um, but uh, the question that it brings up is: If you talk about, say, Judgment at Nuremberg, that's also on my list here. Uh, mine as um, well, and a great movie that I really need to revisit. Uh, it's been a long time, but um, but just the Nuremberg, tri- Nuremberg trials in general, when we seem to have as a people generally Mm -hmm. decided that just following orders wasn't an excuse. Right. But how far down does that go? Like that's, if you're a soldier, you know, getting shot at by Barry Pepper on the beach, you're a German soldier, you know, you're not literally like marching people into, right. Into the, the concentration camps and the ovens and and the, and the gas chambers, but you're still fighting on the side of, that like at, right. at what at what point is a person far enough removed? Uh, it, it's I it's mean, a question that I feel like we have that I'm. It's one of the things I really love about that Inglorious Bastards kind of did that because we have an entire half century of cinematic history in which we've kind of just settled that question and, like you said, yeah. made it two separate issues. And and yeah, and I understand I understand why because yeah, like when in saving private Ryan, like the, the Nazi soldiers are fighting us because we're fighting them. Whereas in Schindler's list, like they have targeted a specific group for termination. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting to think about us. And it's one of the, I think it's a stroke of genius of judgment at Nuremberg that we're not getting like the high ranking officials. Like this is a lower tier trial of like judges. Now, of course, Mm -hmm. judges still play a a big role, but these aren't like, you know, federal judges or anything like these are local judges who still, uh, let the Nazi agenda, like enter into their verdict. And, and that's a big part of what happens at the very end. In fact, the very last scene between Burt Lancaster and Spencer Tracy um, this I, where he says, you know, I never thought it would come to that. 
Mm-hmm. He's talking about those millions of people. It, I never thought it would come to that. And then Spencer Tracy says like, well, it came to that the minute you, you, uh, f- found somebody, you, you convicted somebody that you knew to be innocent. And, and so it ta- it talks about the idea that like, we think of, you know, in the same way that like, Oh, Nazis, like we don't think about like individual atrocities. And then that same right, way, right. when we talk about like 6 million Jews, it's like, that's a huge number. But then if you, te- if you think about like, to use another phrase from judgment and Nuremberg, like the value of a single human life. And it's like, that's 6 million single human people yeah. who, uh, you know, who had their own, beliefs in their own the the one that it sounds weird this is the thing that gets me they have their own hobbies like think of all the like think of the bullshit that surrounds us in this room right now like movies and riddlers and stuff like that and if somebody it sounds so strange if somebody killed me Uh jen would have to deal with my riddlers Uh and figure out what do I do with these? These aren't of any value to me, except that they were valuable to this person. What do I do with them? Like that's when someone dies, like this is all the stuff that is left behind all of these things that were so important to them. And so, you know, which is one of the reasons why I think the imagery from like concentration camps of just these giant piles of glasses, mm, you know, and right. shoes, like it's the physical reminder of like, Oh, well you're not going to need this anymore. You know, the, the stuff that people need. Yeah. You don't need that anymore because we don't see you as people. And pretty soon you're not even going to be that you're just going to be dead. Um, and so, you know, it's, I wasn't intending on heading down this path, but I feel like you have to, like when we talk about Nazism, this is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And while I'm, I'm totally on board with any kind of depiction of like Hitler as ridiculous. Um, I think that's fine. But like, you know, operation finale had this impact on you on me and it made me want to go watch. Yeah. It made me want to watch judgment at Nuremberg and just remind myself that like one of the absolute darkest moments in human history happened less than a hundred years ago. Yeah. And it's, it's not like that. It's like a top three, I'd say a top three level atrocity. Yeah. And, but uh, yet the, you know, Cambodia and Indonesia happened since then. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and uh, Russia Rwanda. and Rwanda yeah. and like, and then Russia, which was not a single event. It was yeah. over the course of several years, like yeah. just more people being starved there. Do you know, um, uh, I'm trying to know who initially said this, but, uh, it's a, a really sobering quote about, uh, someone said it's when we said never again, apparently we meant, never again will we let Germans kill 6 million Jews in Europe in the mid 1940s. Yeah. And like that's, that's the, uh, we haven't been able to, to stop any of these other things from happening. And I think a big part of why we as, uh, as a people, and I don't necessarily mean American people. I mean, everybody, like I made a joke a moment ago about branding. Admittedly, Nazis were great at branding. You know, if you look at like triumph of the will, uh, and no, then that's you see, on my list cause I've seen it. It's, which is, it's a marvelous yeah. movie. It's really well made. I, yeah. I, I don't even know how you like, but because I, I showed it, I showed a clip of it to my class because I was talking about propaganda and then like, 
you know, what, what are you trying to convey, uh, with propaganda movies? And so like you looked at the Soviet propaganda movies and it was a, it was previous regime evil. We needed a cleansing situation with Germany. It was, we were weak, Mm -hmm. but now look how strong we are. Like you watch triumph of the will. First off the, you know, it's a four word title and two of the words are triumph and will, you mm-hmm. know? And then if you watch like the, that film, you get the impression of fucking strength, right? Sure. Yeah. Like not an ounce of weakness, like pure resolve. And mm-hmm. if, if this, if I'm looking at that and I see that those people are my enemies, I'm like, Oh shit, I have, yeah. have not prepared correctly. Um, that's, I think the American war propaganda movies, at least from world war two, actually have a pretty decent message, which tends to be, uh, as long as everyone does their part. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, cause I took a class on war propaganda. Yeah. Um, and we watched, uh, some of the stuff, including, uh, Blondie for victory, which is <laughs> part of the Blondie <laughs> series yeah. in which the message of the movie is that Blondie gets so involved in selling war bonds for, the war that she forgets her domestic duties as a wife and mother. Oh man. And the ultimate message is don't forget to do your part as an American, even if that includes, you know, making sandwiches and washing up. Yeah. As opposed and then it turns into like a really dark domestic abuse thing. His dad would just like takes a hand, uh, back of his hand to her. Yeah, um, he, he shows the entire sandwich in her face. <laughs> Like public enemy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. uh, yeah, that's obviously the good reference. I was going to go with the Sopranos cause it's in my mind. Oh, sure. When yes. Junior. Is it a pie? What I think it's he? a pie. Yeah. Very upsetting. Um, but so the point is that like, you know, when, when we talk about these horrendous genocides, well, we don't know, we don't know the costumes of the bad guys. Whereas like Nazis, like it were <laughs> again, I, I I don't mean to delegitimize or, or devalue or whatever, but just from a, from a movie standpoint, like they've got the costumes, they've got the logo, they've yeah. got their goose stepping, they've got their little salute. Like every, it's just, it's so easy. You know what the villain looks like. Whereas like, if you, if you look at any of these horrendous yeah. genocides, like uh, the victims look very similar to the, to the perpetrators, like, or just like, Oh, well they just kind of look like generic soldiers or something like that. Um, yeah. and I feel like it's why Nazis and honestly, in many cases in the sixties, like communists, Russian communists specifically, like they all look so uniform. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. That reminds me of, this is going way back when we had Jim Bruce and, and, and Tom Griffin on the show. Mm-hmm. We're talking about oh, that was a long time ago. religion and stuff in movies. Yeah. And we were talking about why there, it's so common for Hollywood to make movies about Catholics. And yeah. it's because the churches are like very cinematic. Yeah. yeah and she's like, Oh, it's what, okay. What's the, what are the Protestant images? Uh, potlucks, uh-huh. I guess. <laughs> um, People, yeah. you know, nailing stuff to doors, I guess, uh, depending on the denomination. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to me, uh, how satisfying it is to see. And that's the other thing is like, they make good villains because we love seeing horrible things happen to them whether right. it be their face melt or the blues mobile forces them to jump off a bridge into the water and uh-huh. boy, they look silly. Um, 
because that's the thing is everything about Nazism is superior. It's strength and superior genetically. We are genetically superior. So it's like, okay, killing them means they're not strong and then making them look silly means they're not superior. And I think that's where you get like action and comedy and why Nazis often play well in those, in those situations. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I wish I had had more fun movies. <laughs> I don't know why. I guess my mind was on, you know, there being, uh, real Nazis now. Yeah. Um, I that ever really went away, uh, as evidenced by something like, uh, American history X, which is on. Sure. The, Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you had any neo-Nazi stuff, but I had American history X and, and green room. Um, uh, there's romper stomper. Uh, oh, right. an option. Yeah. Um, but even see in newer movies, it feels new ish movies. Uh, cause this one's like seven years old. Um, but like X-Men first class, it's a big like X-Men movie, mm-hmm. but it's still, it's not like, it's not about the bumbling blues brothers, Nazis. Like it's about real Nazis, right. uh, or at least that most of the movie isn't, but that part right. when, in the first act or so, um, which is among the best parts of the movie that mm. I said before that X-Men first class is a really good Magneto origin origin story yeah. with this other bullshit around the edges that it doesn't need. And X-Men apocalypse, it has its moments in general, but like the Magneto stuff, certainly at the beginning, did you ever see? No, I never saw that one. His st- like anything. Michael Fassbender Magneto is, like works great. Um, in, I think he's done it three times at this point. Cause there was days of future. But yeah. Okay. And it's all great. And a big part of Magneto's past is that like he was Polish, he was a Jew. And so he saw this once. And then with the mutant thing, it's like, ah, okay, I see this again. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I think it's why the X-Men movies, uh, and the, the comics work so well is like, yeah. you're talking about bigotry and you can use all manner of imagery from the past, whether it be civil rights or like the Holocaust, yeah. you can make it work and you can say it very well could happen again in certain, you know, with certain groups. Um, yeah, I wish I had been, oh, uh, so X-Men came out in 2000, the 2000. First yeah. So probably summer of 2000, so I was probably still 17. Mm-hmm. I don't think I really understood how crazy it is that the movie starts at, the con- at a concentration camp, that it's a comic book movie yeah. of which we had not as many references as we have now, yeah. you know, that starts at a can- concentration camp. That's It's crazy, right? I mean, not if you're familiar with the X-Men. It's not. Right. But I'm saying from a mainstream for Fox to put out like, all right, you've had, uh, you've had Batman, you had Batman and Robin. Yeah. Three <laughs> years true. ago. Yeah. Now here's your new comic book movie. And it starts up in a concentration camp in the rain. Uh, yeah. And it's, it seems so ballsy now. I think about it. And I guess that's the thing is because I was an X-Men person, like the moment I saw it, I was like, Oh, Magneto. Uh-huh. Like I just knew that. And then, uh, and then everybody else knows it when you see the little kid, like basically completely warp the fence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is strange and it's, and it's effective, you know, because later on when Ian McKellen, who also is a pretty good Magneto himself, yeah. uh, you know, when he, he says it with such genuine and, and authentic and justifiable rage when he says like, he's talking to Xavier's like, yes, I'm sure like we'll see how, how well you get along when, you know, when they march you into camp with the number burned into your forehead. Uh, and just like, 
it's it's a very pal it's a very palpable thing because it's not merely like uh, a parallel like you have a character who actually experienced this thing and so um, so yeah even in the most mainstream of of movies uh, yeah and again you don't get more mainstream than than Raiders but yeah even in stuff like that and oh. I mean Red Skull is a Nazi oh, now right. they they changed that and turned it into like w- he in the movies he actually dismisses the Nazis and he's part of Hydra which is like worse than the Nazis mm-hmm. but they just hate everybody um, but yeah I I have a memory uh, I collected Marvel cards I and I remember the, the first se- uh, the first uh, series was like 1989 and so I would tra- you know trade with friends and stuff like that and there was this one kid named Jared um, who was interested and I just said like, Oh, well I bought this pack. I'll give you all the stuff that I already have and that'll start your collection. And so I gave him like six cards and one of them was red skull. And there was an, there was a swastika behind him and Jared said, I can't take that. And Jared was Jewish. And so, and I said, Oh, why not? Like I didn't know. And he said, and he said, I don't know, but I'm not supposed to take that. Like he, he was taught at a young age. So again, we were probably six or seven. He was taught at a young age that like that symbol, you don't, you don't mess with. And I remember thinking like that was like, that really stayed with me that, and it got me thinking. So last night I had dinner with a friend of the show, Dave Platt, who Mm -hmm. I believe you saw you at trivia sometime recently. Yeah. Did he tell you that I didn't remember him? Oh (laughs) no. Very. I felt very, very bad. I mean, I I was like, he said, Hey David. And I was like, I know this person, but I was like, I cannot, and I had to be like, I'm sorry. I forgot. I've forgotten where I know you from. And admittedly, if he'd, if he'd talked longer and you heard his delightful accent, that might have. Yeah. But I felt, so bad about that. So you know I'm really what? He, sorry, did, he didn't mention that. Um, it's chewing him up on the inside. I'm sure that is the vibe I got. But anyway, <laughs> um, so, uh, so Dave is, uh, Jewish. And so, uh, and it's a big part of his, his identity. And he was, and so, uh, I mentioned that I had seen operation finale. And so we started talking about, about that. And just like, you know, there are things that you and I, when we see Nazis in movies, much like my friend, you know, we know that that symbol is bad, mm-hmm. but we know it's not necessarily bad for us. Right. Like, right. N- like no one's coming after us as a function of that symbol. Whereas my, f- my old friend, Jared, and then yeah. Dave said this, like, well, I am Catholic. That's true. They're not thrilled with that. I know that from blues brothers. Right. Um, but yeah, and it's, uh, and so I do wonder, like, so like listeners feel free to weigh in, like, if you are Jewish or, uh, or any group that the Nazis right. like honed in on when you see Nazis in, I mean, obviously Schindler's list. Yeah. Uh, they're pretty well demonized in that one, but if you see them in like Raiders or, or X-Men or something like that, do you feel like it cheapens what was done a little bit? Yeah. Or maybe, those people have always enjoyed, they've always gotten sure. out of it. What we all get out of Inglorious bastards because, sure. because Quentin Tarantino didn't like, didn't hide it under any layers. I mean, like it's, yeah. it really is about this rage. Like you, yeah. like you get you, a nice close up of Hitler's face and it gets destroyed by a yeah. machine gun. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, I guess we got to get into some heavier stuff, but I'm trying to see what else is on here that's less heavy. Well, I wonder, you know, as, as you know, uh, and the listeners know who listen to the movie journal, I somewhat recently for the first time in forever, like 30 years, rewatched the sound of music. Mm. Um, yeah. And I want like, uh, I mean, it definitely meant more to me now. The fact that they're Nazis, than it did when I was a little kid in the 1980s, but then the movie was made in the early 1960s or mid 1960s. Yeah, 65. Um, when it wasn't that far in the rear view, yeah. you know what I mean. Um, so I'm wondering, and uh, thinking in terms of you know Operation Finale, like Eichmann had been caught and executed three years before that. Mm-hmm. So like it was still, and that was like. Uh, that was worldwide international news yeah. and it was, and it was covered on TV and all that. So it was still probably in, in people's mindset. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, they weren't, they were, they weren't meant to be generic, just bad guys at the time, right. which is probably how I saw them as a kid because sure. I didn't have enough reference. And also it was, it had been 40 years as opposed to 20. Yeah. Um, uh, but it definitely, held some revenue had some resonance now. Um, which brings me to something I want to talk about, which is movies about, you know, living in Germany in the thirties as this is happening. That's something that has come to fascinate me because I worry about obviously a racist authoritarian leading Mm -hmm. our country, um, and openly saying racist things or, um, or at least wolf whistles and that uh, are meant to speak to his racist base. Like, do you hear what he said? Like the thing he said, cause it's been one year since Charlottesville when he, mm-hmm. uh, refused to condemn the white supremacists. Right. And then he sent out like a tweet this past week that was that some people took to be like, Oh, now he's, Oh, now he's saying it. But it had a, like a wolf whistle in it okay. when he says, he said, like, uh, you know, I'm opposed to all forms of racism. And I feel like a lot of people who aren't racist are like, yeah, all forms of racism are bad. But I feel like what he is trying to say to his base is, yes, even you, the white person who feels discriminated against, I'm against that racism that you feel justifies your anger. That's how I, that's how I took that. But um, I'm not sure... <laughs> I don't know if he's quite clever enough for that. Oh, I assume that Stephen Miller uh, (laughs) came up with the language. Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, I guess that's one way of putting it. Like if you were, if he just said like, I am against racism. Yeah. It's like, yeah, all right. That's, I agree with you. And then all forms of racism is like, okay, all right. (laughs) I admittedly like it. Maybe the word form is what's throwing me. Like, obviously, racism is always the same thing. Right, right, right. But it, d- d- maybe you should say avenues. <laughs> I'm against all uh, the different avenues of racism, <laughs> but that doesn't, it's not, doesn't roll off the tongue. Um, so that brings me to a couple of things I wanted to talk about. One of my favorite movies of all time, uh, certainly possibly my favorite musical of all time, is Cabaret. Yeah. Um, and that's a really powerful movie about seeing uh, these things and it's and I gotta say, like that song, "The Future Belongs to Me." It's mm-hmm. a beautiful song, and it's sung very beautifully, and it is genuinely like rousing. Mm-hmm. And but then when you realize, like, 
and I think that's part of the brilliance of it is that as you are listening to this, you're like, yeah, yeah, all right. Then you're like, oh shit. Like when Nazis say the future belongs to me, like that means they're going to take it. Yeah. And that scene is, I, I think that might be, I like cabaret, both the musical and the movie. Uh, and I think that might be my favorite part of it because of just how loaded it is. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another one that, uh, from just a couple years ago, or it came out here a little over a year ago. It's a German movie that had come out like a year before there called 13 minutes, okay. which is about, um, probably the earliest failed attempt on Hitler's life by, okay. uh, by a citizen. Um, and so it's sort of, the movie's sort of non-chronological or, or it has like a framing device where we know that the bombing, he planted a bomb and he was, uh, it went off 13 minutes after Hitler had left. That was why, that's why the movie's called that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we know he's been arrested and then we're going back and through his interrogation at the hands of the Nazis, we're getting the whole story leading up to it, which means we're seeing what it was like in, you know, what it was like in small town Germany, small town, like rural Germany, as the Nazis were taking power over the course of the mm-hmm. uh, the thirties, um, and and what's the fact that that movie was made a year before Trump took office uh, is it, it, it's, it, it's interesting how much of it seemed to parallel some of the things that we were seeing, like like that uh, brutish mm. stupid people who have been treated like shit because they're brutish and stupid mm. now suddenly have someone who's willing to hand them the power and say you know you can keep this town in line however you want you right. know and um, I don't want to obviously I don't want to be the uh, uh, asshole condescending liberal who says that's uh, who all Trump supporters are. I, I, right. We talked about the deplorables thing on the movie yeah. journal, actually, uh, coincidentally. Uh, I don't want to be that, but that is the, the danger that sure. we saw with the United right rally in Charlottesville last year is that people, uh, who have very, very dangerous opinions and willpower that come from a place of ignorance and even pettiness are suddenly, feeling empowered which uh i don't talk about this movie enough i think i talked about it with uh black klansman when you were talking about it is the film imperium right where which doesn't deal with the clan it deals with like neo-nazis and and just general white supremacists and and it's just so interesting to see like the different veins of it uh and like i said last week just the way that some people some of them like look down on other little sects of it um but the most frightening and harrowing part of it is that there's a guy who just he and his wife they just live in the suburbs and they are genuinely nice people and they just they just the stuff that they've read they just look and see that for example like it, it is not, I, I, to me, it is not anti-Semite to say that Hollywood was pretty much built by Jews who admittedly had to f- disguise it. Um, but like, I'm not saying that's a 
bad thing. Right. No, you know, but like when people say like, ah, the Jews run the media, you know, like, so this character like looks at that and says like, well, that's, you know, when, when an entire group runs TV and music and and movies, like what kind of messages are they putting out there? And you're like, okay, I, I get what you're saying. And then just from there, of course, his solutions are very extreme, but he is, such a nice welcoming mm-hmm. person to the right type of person and there's a really scary moment for the Daniel Radcliffe character who he's been you know he's in too deep David uh-huh. um, and there comes a moment when he has like something of a crisis like a personal crisis and he realizes oh shit I don't have any actual friends to talk to so he goes and talks to this guy because this guy, like within a certain framework, like as long as we're not talking about this thing over here, mm-hmm. he's very wise and very understanding. And the realization that like th- this guy who is undeniably smart mm. can still right. just somehow in some ways, like the smarter you are, the more clever you can be with yourself and like how you can incorporate this stuff and make it seem like an actual legitimate worldview or yeah. a worldview at all. Um, and so I thought, so I feel like Imperium is a very interesting film in looking at like the, the modern, because these characters, they all know that like, well, we can't be open about it either, but Imperium came out, you know, I think two years ago and it was not, yeah. it was not anticipating where we are now. And so I feel like it'd be interesting f- for me to rewatch it now, knowing yeah. that certain people now feel like, they feel empowered to come out of the woodwork a little bit. That reminds me of a movie that I, in retrospect, probably don't think is very good, but was really fascinated by when, when it came out, which is, I think it's called the believer with Ryan Gosling. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think it's notable for his performance, but I think it's uh, certainly ham fisted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know what? Another, uh, neo-Nazi movie I had on my list is mother night. Um, in which that movie kind of walks the line between like, obviously recognizing what the Nazis did, but yeah. also the present day neo-Nazis are kind of a joke in the way too. Yes. Um, yeah. And they, they are very funny. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, and I, and I think that, I mean, it's that it's, uh, based on a Kurt Vonnegut novel. Right. And right, so yeah. there's, there's that very caustic gallows humor, yeah. Uh, so obviously like the, the main character sees all kinds of horrible things, but like, uh, well, we're past that now. And it's the idea that like anybody that would still cling to this thing that has very much failed, like must be just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, if people don't know what mother night's about, I don't know. It's, uh, oh, yeah. uh, Nick Nolte plays a guy who was working undercover as an American quote unquote Nazi, but he was actually in recover for the U S during right. the war in Berlin. Yeah. Uh, but then as part of their intelligence, they, the CIA has to disavow. Yeah. So he moves back to America under an assumed name because everyone still thinks he's a Nazi. Yeah. And then the neo Nazis who actually think this guy was real. Yeah. They find him. Uh, it's a, it's a really, really good movie. Really I good think, movie. uh, given the subject matter, I, I feel like maybe it's, in retrospect, maybe it's a little bit too dour. Maybe it should lean into the silliness a little bit more, but I think it's, I think it's still really effective. And Eichmann plays a role there too. Um, because this character, even though he knows he didn't actually believe this stuff, uh, 
he still like gives himself up himself up and goes to jail in uh, Israel. And so his oh, sale, right. his cell right. is next to, to Eichmann's. Yeah. Great cast too. You've got Nick Nolte, yeah. you've got John Goodman, you've got Cheryl Lee. Yeah. Uh, Alan Arkin. Arkin. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a good movie. I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a really good Nick Nolte performance too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. Uh, you know, so one movie that really jumps out at me is Orson Welles, the stranger. Which came out oh, in I the. Can't f- I didn't put that on my list. Yeah, it came out in 46, the forties. Right? You know, so like that's right after, and I don't mean to say it's callous or anything because first off, it's a great movie. It really um, is. But the idea that like that this guy is an undercover Nazi uh, in the U.S. and that it's a thriller about him being found out and trying to do what he can't, you know, in that he could be a Russian spy. Like he could be really anything, whatever, whatever America didn't see itself as, uh, is what he is, but he happens to be Nazi. And again, this is how I felt when I saw Carol Reed's night train to Munich, which, but that was made in like 1940 or 41 before we knew the full extent. Mm hmm. And so the Nazis were just kind of like, yeah, there are enemies. We're fighting them. And so like, we'll just have this really fun kind of jaunty, uh, thriller. And you're just like, Oh, well look at what they did over here. Maybe Mm -hmm. jaunty isn't the right idea, which is why it's interesting that the stranger coming out in 1946 would choose to have this, you know, fairly straightforward thriller. It's hilarious to me that the stranger was Orson Welles attempt to make a like conventional (laughs) movie. (laughs) And that's what he went with. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it certainly, it certainly is more conventional in its, trappings uh-huh. but i think just the way he makes movies visually yeah. i just don't think they would ever fit with, with yeah. a, a larger like audience. a working small town essentially yeah um, and <laughs> it has shots that are like minutes and minutes long yeah it's a crazy movie crazy music yeah uh, it's such a cool movie it is a really good movie um so then uh, and along those lines i would say like casablanca um, you know, oh, you've sure, got like yeah, major Strasser yeah. and that's 1942. Once again, don't know the full extent of the atrocities. And so the Nazis, it makes sense. They would be villains. We are dealing with like world war two stuff. Um, but you look at that really wonderful sequence where like the Nazis are in Rick's and they're singing and oh, then, right. and then Laszlo like gets everyone to sing La Marseille and, and it's this really nice moment of triumph. And again, it, th- what I'm saying doesn't keep me from enjoying these moments, but it's this feeling of like, if, you know, Carol Reed or if, um, Michael Curtiz or, or the writers, if they knew just how evil these people were, like would this little like moral victory be treated as such a triumph? Um, like the thing is like, I compare like night train to Munich to the third man tonally the, you know, one is like, it's like, ah, what's a jaunty type of, you know, then the third man, yes, there's a, there's a dark kind of humor, but it is a very like broken. It's a, it's a film about a very broken world and like, well, what happened in between those two things? Well, we realize just how broken the world is and I think it's reflected. Um, Um, sorry, I've been talking for a long time. No, that's okay. And we should probably have a bit of an eye towards leaning up, uh, leaning up, uh, wrapping up. 
Uh, but I did want to mention a couple of other movies about um, uh, life in Germany under the Nazis. Um, there's Swing Kids, obviously. Oh, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I know I saw as a kid. But the main thing I remember is you were... Well, I'm not sure if the Landmark Theaters ever had the... Do you remember these? Oh, yeah. Okay, With so Frank La- Whaley. Yeah, so Landmark Theaters used to... Um, it was part of the IFC channel. Mm-hmm. Did these bumpers before movies at Landmark Theaters, the different interviews. And there was one of Frank Whaley talking about how studios keep taking good movies and remaking them, and the remakes are bad. They should take bad movies and he says yeah. for instance i was in this movie swing kids it's really bad i remember he says he goes it was basically about dancing nazis he's like how about instead we make a movie about nazis who can't dance <laughs> or instead of dancing they go and get hookers yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just that very yeah. uh a very 90s sensibility actually now that i think of what that was yeah but uh yeah i always think that i think i remember that better than i remember swing kids oh sure i just know it's yeah it's frank whaley it's robert sean leonard right yes uh, and ethan hawk right uh is that right i think it's him That's so long yeah um but anyway yeah. and then there was a more recent one called laura l-o-r-e okay um which uh is uh about a girl trying to essentially make it across a huge part of the country um no. without getting caught by nazis uh so it's a survival uh movie you know, uh, along those lines, the idea of like people trying to like make it from, you know, make it across the border or whatever. Um, you've seen grand illusion, right? Uh, no, I never have. Okay. It's a Renoir film yeah, and it's about world war one. And it makes this argument that like, like Germany and France, like in, they weren't really that different from each other. And so he made this in the thirties and he released a statement. In fact, I think he he uh, recorded himself after World War Two, or because it was made in the thirties. Like, so I, it might have been a few years later, or it might have actually been all the way after World War Two, where he just said like the message of Grand Illusion does not apply to World War Two. Oh, okay. like th- we were different. Like we were dealing with actual evil. It was not, Hey, there's a political difference and this soldier really isn't that different than this soldier. They prefer not to be fighting, but it's the way it works. Like that's not how this is anymore. Mm-hmm. And so like the, the criterion collection, like they released that. And so I watched that little uh, thing that he uh, recorded and it was very interesting. And it, and it's, it speaks to what I'm talking about, which is, he made some. He was making something that had nothing to do with with World War II or Nazis or the Holocaust or anything like that. Uh, but the realization of what Nazism was and what Germany was caused him to completely rethink this wonderful film that he's made. Uh, and so I, I thought that was interesting. But um, yeah, um, so it's interesting to me. Speaking of interesting, mm-hmm. um, that and I, and I think we worked we as a just a race uh, have worked towards correcting this but it seems like for a long time a lot of the big movies about the holocaust had a non-jewish like sort of protagonist or or you know like even sure. like it's sure, certainly Schindler's List is the big yeah yeah the big one um uh but even something like Inglorious Bastards mm-hmm. got uh all the reins or whatever it seemed like yeah. 
but we've started, I would say more and more of the, in the 21st century, at least we've seen a lot more movies about just Jewish people surviving the right. Holocaust or not surviving the Holocaust. Right. You've got the pianist, obviously yeah. you've got life is beautiful. That's not 21st century. That's 20th century. No. And, um, also I don't think it's very good. Uh, there was, um, um, I want to say a Dutch movie, I think called in darkness. Oh yeah. yeah. True story, uh, directed by Agnieszka Holland. Um, uh, uh, a true story of a uh, uh, big group of Jewish people who survived mm-hmm. for months, maybe even years in the sewers yeah. while the Nazis were walking around, uh, up above them. Um, there was another movie, uh, that was called, was it called no place on earth about, it was a similar, but a, but a group of Jews that hid in a cave in the woods mm-hmm. for years, hmm. um, and survived also a true story. I didn't see the boy in the striped pajamas. I heard it wasn't that good. Yeah, I, hear, I didn't see it either. I hear it's um, good. Um, I feel like I had uh, the counterfeiters was a I can't remember, oh, was yeah. that a German movie. I think so, but um, I might be wrong. Uh, and then I didn't. I never saw the Gray Zone. Um, oh, it's very good. But I think the Gray Zone and the counterfeiters both have um, a, they have something in common in that I think the Gray Zone more so. But the idea of um, sometimes to stay alive in the camps, yeah. you had to maybe sell out or uh, hurt somebody else, which is actually a big part of the uh, almost completely unknown, uh, Adam resurrected the Paul Schrader film with, uh, Jeff Goldblum and right. features Willem Dafoe as this Nazi commandant. And it is man. Like if you're a fan of Jeff Goldblum, you should check it out because there are some, scenes that are incredibly uncomfortable to watch uh where uh willem dafoe essentially says to jeff goldblum who's a, a you know a prisoner at the concentration camp he says like uh, i want a dog and so jeff goldblum becomes his dog okay. and literally has to like act like a dog and then willem dafoe like pets him like a dog and it's like that must have been so hard for both actors yeah. to do that. Um, and I know that sounds like really, of course that's very heightened and crazy and the movie is heightened and crazy, but like those scenes are, you know, when we think of like dehumanizing, we think of, Oh, we're, we're treating someone in a way that we wouldn't treat people. This is literally like, I'm not going to, I'm going to treat you as something other than human. Right. Uh, and if you want to live, you have to act as something other than human. Um, yeah. There's also Son of Saul, which is a right. really heavy um, movie. Did you ever see that one? I didn't. Yeah. that's. Um, uh, it's, I, mean, I think it's quite a, an impressive filmmaking feat. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, it, yeah, very, very upsetting. From the point of view of what we're talking about, which is like the depictions of, of Nazis, uh, as we start to move you know, towards, uh, as we need to lean up towards the end. Yeah, sorry. Um, I've been talking all day. Apparently it's, there is the occasional beat that we'll see in movies of the, I'll put quotes around it. The good Nazi, okay. you know, you have what's named Thomas Kretschmann or something from the pianist. Okay. Who's the guy who like the world weary, like Nazi officer who, 
doesn't seem particularly keen on killing people and like he knows that uh adrian brody's character is there and so like he will often just like sit and just like listen to him play piano and he doesn't turn him in or anything like that and so like he's seen as a good nazi and he he in his own way he kind of saves adrian brody's life and so later on when Brody discovers that this character has been imprisoned and maybe I think shot, um, that's treated as like an unfortunate hmm. thing, which is understandable because again, like this is a good Nazi. I would say uh, a similar example would be Burt Lancaster in judgment in Nuremberg, which is at least the conscience stricken Nazi. Hmm. And so I feel like we do get that from time to time and it's, difficult you know to to think about and i think you can think of some more examples i'm sure there i'm sure there are um but uh but yeah like that character in the pianist like we see that he's being very humane to this to this guy that he's been told he should hate and kill but we also and and so like oh we feel compassionate towards him but you also wonder like you, but what has he done up to this point? You mm-hmm. know, what would he do if Adrian Brody didn't play the piano? Um, right. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's something to, I like the pianist quite a bit. And, um, and I think that that beat is interesting because it's, it's a true story, but I do find myself wondering if like, uh, I don't know. It's, I don't think it's in poor taste or anything like that, but I feel like it's, there are some questions that, I would I would have liked it to ask, but I'm not exactly sure how. All right, uh, I'm about at the end of my list. I think okay. of the stuff I wanted to talk about. The one uh, I just want to mention. I don't think you saw it, and I don't think that many people saw it at all. Uh, but the movie is called Amen, um, mm, okay. and it's specifically about um, it's anti-Nazi, of course, but it's also anti-Catholic or anti-Catholic Church because it's specifically about sure. the Catholic Church kind of turning a blind eye to yeah. the Holocaust, even uh, the more they learned about what was going on, uh, the more they uh, put their fingers in their ears. Yeah. Um, and uh, struck by, did I, did I say struck by Costa Gavras? Um, oh, you, uh, I don't think you did. Okay. okay. Yeah. So uh, I love him as a filmmaker and he tends to be um, very resolute and angry. <laughs> he makes movies yeah. and this is a movie that is, uh, it will make you angry at the church. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think I will end by talking about The Great Dictator. So oh, good. What, I'm glad you did. It's on my list and I forgot. So what's interesting is that, you know, we've been talking about, like, Nazis, but we actually haven't been talking much about Hitler, and I think that's okay. Yeah. Um, I kind of, partially because, like, hey, we can do a part two uh, <laughs> and talk about Hitler specifically. Yeah, we didn't do a downfall at all, which is... Right. Uh, and, 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 yeah, Hitler has been portrayed uh, many times, and so... I feel like at some point I would like to do a series on like historical characters or uh, fictional characters that we've seen in film many times, whether it be Richard Nixon or Frankenstein, yeah. uh, Frankenstein's monster. Pardon me. Um, well, we've usually seen a lot of depictions of Victor. I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, Frankenstein. Uh, to, well, that's the best one. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I would like to see like, you know, different depictions of Hitler because unlike many of these other characters, like, well, there's really only one way to play him. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, to what degree do we, how do we play this level of evil? You know? Um, but anyway, that's, an, that's another episode. Uh, but with, with, um, with the great dictator, you of course have comedy. Um, 
and he makes fun of Hitler. He makes fun of Mussolini, uh, and then just the whole Nazism thing in general. And so, uh, and then it ends on this really wonderful monologue, uh, that, and this came out in 1940. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we weren't like audiences weren't thrilled with Germany, but at the same time, yeah. like there's a moment when, uh, Chaplin has the audacity to use the word comrade. And so it's like, Oh boy, that's a bad call, man. Mm-hmm. Like us, like we might be aligned with Russia at the moment, but we're not thrilled with that. Um, and so it was not very popular, but in retrospect, it's a, it's a really touching monologue about like just living or just not even living with, but like just coexisting, just allowing other people to yeah. be around. Uh, yeah. and it's a, it's a really, uh, really powerful thing. I always think about the heat, the what to do, what to think and what to feel. You know, that part? Yes. That's when he's, yeah. That, I always think about that. And it was, that speech was used in a commercial like a little over a year ago. Really? Yeah. It's weird. That's, well, just recently there was a Martin Luther King Jr. Speech in like a truck commercial, which the King family, the, the King estate, would not allow Ava DuVernay to use Martin Luther King's actual speeches for oh, Selma. Oh, they allowed it but for, for the truck company. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say they sent a memo saying, uh, and that was it. Uh, no, they, they, wow. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Crazy. That's strange. Um, all right. So, uh, you can find us at battleship That's where you can find, uh, all sorts of stuff, including, uh, I reviewed almost every movie that came out this yeah. weekend. Uh, not mile 22, uh, didn't get, we got an invite, couldn't make it. Um, I, you know, there, there was a time, not that I consider Peter Berg to be like a, a vital filmmaker, but he was an interesting filmmaker, I, but I, I feel I like still think he's very capable. I just don't seem to, he and I are not on the same page in terms of what movies are supposed to be. <laughs> not that I think movies are supposed to be any one thing. Well, and about just, what do we want out of movies? Right. And he seems to think people only want Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. And, it's like, hey, I get that you know you, you're making movies about like working class guys, and that's kind of what Mark Wahlberg plays really well. But after a while, like, you know, hell, it fucking took Johnny Depp and Tim Burton like two decades to get where you already are yeah. with uh, with this collaboration. Yeah, and plus, Patriots Day was so terrible that I I feel like I'm done with that pairing. I don't know. Because I didn't like Lone Survivor. Right. I didn't really like Deepwater Horizon. I didn't hate it. Wow, so you've seen all of these. Uh, Yeah, but I hated Patriot's Day. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I haven't seen, obviously, Mile Mile 22. But you'll see a bunch of movie reviews. You've got, also, you've got Movie Meltdown did an episode on mental illness in movies, which uh, uh, sounds very interesting. Uh, West, we got a double dose of musical notation, uh, looked at After Hours and looked at Tucker, The Man in His Dream. And then, yeah, I reviewed everything. Um, (laughs) Well... And then uh, once again, as we talked about, was that on the main episode? No, it was on the movie journal last week. I talked about the uh, Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society does, does a poll every week. Mm. Uh, once again, on the odd man out because uh, okay. everyone's picking either. Most people are picking Crazy Rotations. There's some love for Alpha as the movie of the week, but I'm the only one who picked Minding the Gap, the documentary about skateboard kids in Rockford, Illinois, which is the best documentary of the year so far. Um, but. Uh, I really am not trying to do it, but I feel like such a douche every time I click the, I'm the only person cl- clicking on one movie. Um, you gotta, you know, hey, just 
these stuffed shirts, <laughs> they don't know how things work. You know, you... No, they're all fine people with uh, very good opinions. Um, and you should check out the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society website and Twitter. But that, we're not here for them. Um, my own, do a plug of my own shit here. So that's the website. You can email us at david at com or tyler at com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at davypretension. You can follow Tyler at tylerpretension. Uh, what can people find over at morethanonelesson.com this week? Uh, no episode this week. Um, I think I'm going to scale back a little bit. I was, I was doing, I was cranking out like one a week. Uh, I think it's probably going to wind up being closer to like two a month. Um, just cause especially as we go into the school season where I will be, ha- I will have a job and I might have another job, uh, which would Very be exciting. super great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so at the moment there's, uh, not much over there. There's, you know, a uh, new episode of uh, the fear of God episode 99 in which they talk about final destination. So just the first one, just the first one. Okay. Are they going to do the other four? Maybe okay. they'll do what I tell them to do. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I've only seen the first three final destinations. I tapped out after that, I guess there are five, there correct? There are five. Yes. null. That's where it ends. Yeah. Yes. As our late friend Quinn Indeed. called it. Five no goes west. Indeed. Uh, rest in peace, Quinn. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You'll be remembered for that joke. <laughs> All right. Um, that's a good note to go yeah, on sure. laughing about our uh, uh, late friend. Uh, all right. So thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.